0: So, you know, in the historic lectionary calendar of the church, today is the second Sunday of the 50 days of Eastertide that we as believers have traditionally marked out to uh, reflect upon and delight in the truth of our new life in Christ and to build on the good news we celebrated last week that our Lord Jesus, who was once dead, is now alive. And it's, it's one of those times, one of those church seasons, kind of like Advent, where we're called upon to hold our faith in tension. The the tension uh, between our understanding of the harsh realities of this present world on the one hand, uh, and the pure joy of Christ's victory over death on the other, which was exactly the reaction of the early disciples when the Bible tells us in John chapter 20, uh, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Uh, leaving the disciples completely dumbstruck and almost giddy from the flood of confusion and relief when Jesus appeared to them in that upper room. And it's a, it's a feeling, it's an experience the early church fathers didn't want us to lose sight of. They even had a name for it. They called it in Latin, Rhesus Pascalis, which means the Easter laugh. And it was their way of celebrating the resurrection of Christ as, in effect, the supreme joke that God played on the world, the flesh, and the devil by raising Jesus from the dead. And of us commemorating the heart-stopping joy that that reality sparked in the hearts of his followers. And you're going to see that today. That's the theme, actually, in our lectionary reading in another resurrection appearance of our Lord, this time to two of his disciples Uh, In a text really that that almost starts out like the setup of a really elaborate joke, but one that ends not with a punchline, but with a surprise finish that will put a smile on the faces of the disciples that nothing in the world could ever take away. And so if you're following along in your own Bibles, which I hope you are, we're still in the Gospel of Luke. You'll be looking at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, Okay. So that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began talking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there these last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Uh, We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Uh, All this happened three days ago. And then some of our women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Uh, Some of our group went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said but they did not see him and brothers and sisters this is the word of the Lord to us today let's pray God our father we thank you for the life the death the resurrection of your son and we thank you for the faithful stories uh, these eyewitness accounts of his resurrection to his early disciples Uh, resurrection stories lord that uh, just put the the joy and the truth of that reality in their hearts a a joy that uh that we ask to be a part of today father you would lend us your holy spirit to make that real among us because we want to see jesus and we ask it in his name amen so it's three days after the crucifixion that cleopas and his friend are passing through jerusalem's western gate headed toward emmaus and even a casual observer that day could tell from their body language that their conversation was intense as they discussed what had happened over the past few days. Days that had seen their Jesus, their rabbi, the one they believed was the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one sent to deliver the people from their slavery to Rome and their bondage to sin. They had seen him taken by the religious leaders and put through a mock trial. And then shuttled off to Pilate, who they coerced into executing Jesus by putting him to death on the cross. And as these two, as as they're walking and and talking and worrying over all these things, a stranger walks up alongside of them out of nowhere. He interrupts them really, and says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Right, so basically here Jesus just pops up and says, hey, fellas, what you talking about? And the two men stop in their tracks. They look at each other. They look at Jesus, whom they've been prevented from recognizing, and they give him kind of a sideways glance as they're trying to size up what kind of fellow had joined their company, and they're just dumbfounded at his question because the public execution event of Friday past was just about the only thing anybody was talking about Uh, as folks began to pack up for their trip home from Jerusalem after the Passover festivities. And so partly in frustration, and I, I bet with some degree of sarcasm, these men respond by asking this stranger if he'd been living under a rock for the last few days. Uh, n- not to have known what had happened. What had happened over the weekend. And of course the delightful irony being that the one to whom the question was asked was the only one that really truly did know what had happened over the weekend. But the disciples don't get the joke. And so comically they're going to tell him all about it Anyway. And I can almost picture the Lord breaking out into a grin because, we talked about this in Sunday school, if you've been paying attention as we've gone along through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said and did a lot of things that were pretty funny. I mean, we just miss a lot of it because of uh, barriers of time and culture and language make it hard for us to get. But Jesus' entire life and ministry was full of humor. Uh, He loved to use funny embellishments in his stories and in his sermon illustrations, like, like the ones that poked fun of the scribes and the Pharisees with all their pride and their pompousness. You know, like the one that Jesus uh, talked about, the holier-than-thou man blowing a trumpet before he put a few little bucks in the collection box. Uh, or, or the ones about camels going through the eyes of needles so he could tease them about the camel-sized sins that they swallowed so easily and then turn around and choked on a gnat. Uh, Or worse yet, his funny stories about idlers who are given a full day's pay, stewards who are successful cheats, uh, prodigal sons who go off to feed pigs and then being celebrated with a banquet on their return home. And if you think about it, that that kind of humor depends largely on one thing. It depends on the element of surprise, right? It it depends on where we're led to think, you know, a story is going to end one way, but it ends an entirely different way. And we laugh, right? Because it's the unexpected event. It's the unanticipated punchline. It's the prize ending that grabs our attention. And Jesus was a master at that. He's a master at the artful reversal and the, the unexpected taking the place of the expected. And those surprises, along with his clever use of humor, enabled our Lord's followers to learn not only from him, but about him. And so in the same way today, Jesus hiding from these men in plain sight is all part of his master plan uh, because of course he, he could have just shown him his nail scarred hands right uh, he, he could have just said here's my spear gouged side or his thorn scraped forehead he could have just said guys it's me I, I'm back cheer up I mean he did that for the disciples in the upper room right he, he did that for the women at the tomb but it wasn't God's plan in this encounter and truth be told that's actually good news for us that's good news for you and me but we're going to get back to that just stick a pin in that for a second and we'll circle back to that because for now in the account these three men stand there on this dusty road to Emmaus looking at each other and our lord does one of the things that our lord does best he answers their question with another question and so he asked Cleopas and his traveling companion what things happened and the text doesn't tell us which one spoke first but I'd be willing to bet both of them talked at once and the whole story just spilled out. Uh, the whole sad account of their hopes and dreams and plans that they had pinned to Rabbi Yeshua. Uh, and they told about the powerful miracles he had performed like he didn't know. Right. And they told about the depths of his teaching and how everything he had done seemed to have fit everything they were expecting from the anointed one that God had promised to send to reclaim the throne of David. And restore the glory of Israel. But then they said, then last Friday came. And that's where the wheels came off. That's where everything changed. That's where their plans came apart at the seams and the bottom dropped out. And their whole world went dark, literally and figuratively. And they just didn't understand how it all happened. And what they wanted to know, I think whether they knew exactly how to verbalize it or not, was... Where was God when the cross was getting erected? Where was God when his prophet was murdered? Where where was God when the cultural elite and the foreign conquerors continued to beat down the common people anytime they felt like it and take away their leader that they had clung to and hoped in and heeded uh, as they tried to make it through the ups and downs of everyday life? And most importantly, I think they wanted to know where was God when they needed him? And they must have asked themselves, had these last three years with the master just been some kind of a sick joke that they had been the butt of? Because everything that they had been waiting and longing and hoping for had just been sealed up in a stone-cold tomb. And now even the body was gone. Now he's gone. Ridiculous, I know, they must have said to this stranger who decided to walk with him, but what does it mean? Where could the body have gone? Who, who could have taken it? Who would want it? Right? I mean, just the thought of someone making off with a body is almost laughable if it hadn't been so heartrending. And how would they ever figure out all the answers when there were just way too many questions? But there has to be an answer, right? And then, even without waiting for the other shoe to drop, having spilled their sad story, they kind of just throw up their hands and move on. Cleopas and his traveling companions, they just start out walking again. That is, until their roadside stranger said the last thing they could have expected to hear from him. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. And now Cleopas looks over at the stranger, confused, who looks right back into Cleopas's eyes and said, Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And you know, right then, just like a joke that you have to explain ceases to be funny, the mood of the day turned from a mixture of sad and mildly humorous to deadly serious. As Jesus said, you guys should have already understood from the scriptures, you already know that all of this was necessary. That it was essential, that it was imperative even for the Savior to be put to death before he would reign in glory. And how did you guys miss it? Because it's all through the Bible that you say that you know, except it turns out maybe they had only been kidding themselves in that regard. Because even had they just considered Isaiah 53, they could have seen it. Here's a little piece of it. If you guys know Isaiah 53, who has believed our message to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So who but Jesus could that be describing? Now, now admittedly, looking back now, it's much easier for us to see looking backwards at the events of Jesus' life. But even then, a text like that, having been read to men like those two uh, from synagogues for seven centuries prior to the birth of Jesus, should have led them to understand the Savior had to suffer to save us from God's wrath for our sins. But still, they didn't get it. And so we're told by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. They sat down to eat, and he took the bread and blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and in that moment he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And they rose that same hour And returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. You remember I I told you just a little earlier that uh, that experience of the two men on the road was good news for us. Well, here's why this is where it all comes together, because in this encounter on the Emmaus road, Jesus in doing and saying what he did with his words and with the bread is intentionally pointing out that before he opened these men's physical eyes that he opened their hearts Which, of course, is how every salvation experience happens when the Lord of life takes the initiative to open blind eyes and to unstop deaf ears and to resurrect dead hearts. But he's making an additional point here today in the fact that he accomplished, church, this great work of evangelism by doing it through the true great pillars of our faith that he's left behind for us to keep as a church. And that's his word and that's the sacraments his word and sacrifice that's why these two men were kept from recognizing jesus for hours while they were together because their outward inability to recognize jesus mirrored their inward unbelief of what the scripture said and of the miracles he performed that's why jesus chose to reveal himself in such a funny way a way that was and is still of the utmost importance for those two men and for all of us here 21 centuries later Namely, that we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Because, you see, Jesus knew that between his resurrection appearance and the full establishment of his still-coming kingdom in the future, there would be the church age. That's what we're living in now, the age that we're living in right here. And he knew that his ascension day was coming up quickly. Too quickly, his disciples would have said. And that meant these two men and all those other witnesses of the resurrection and every generation of believers to come after them down to us wouldn't have access to Christ's physical bodily presence anymore. Right? We can't still see his visible wounds today, right? And we wouldn't have audible, verbal words of instruction directly from the lips of our Lord. But rather we'd have to rely on, as Hebrews 4.12 says, his living and active word to enlighten their paths. And we'd have to rely on the Holy Spirit to actualize his real presence at the table. And this whole episode we've been reading shows us God's will and his intention is that in this post-resurrection and ascension world that we live in, that Jesus would be seen through the inerrant record of his scriptures and through our participation in the sacraments and through the living testimony of men and women whose hearts have been opened through the joyful, ordinary means of grace. Right. God's grace working in and through us, no matter what the world throws at us. No matter where we find ourselves on the road of life. And I know admittedly, and I'll say this in my own life, as I'm sure it is in yours, you know, sometimes a whole lot easier to be filled with joy and gladness when we're all here together in the sanctuary. Right. When we're all together and and then you kind of start to lose that a little bit as you go about your weekly grind. You know, when you're at home with your own private worries worries over the state of your life and and your health and the circumstances of this clown world that we find ourselves living in. But church, it doesn't have to be that way. Because the Bible says there's a time to laugh. And I'm going to suggest that time is now. A time to laugh at all the things that snuff out joy. To laugh at all the things that pretend to be all-powerful. Like the cruelty and madness of this world. And most especially, church, to have the opportunity to laugh at death. Not because we have on rose colored glasses, not because we don't care about the sufferings of the world, not because we're immune to personal trials, but church, because Jesus sweeps them all away with the joy and the wonder and the promise of his resurrection, just like he did that first Easter morning. And our Lord isn't finished yet as today's today's anecdote continues the setup by, again, almost joke like uh, when two men walk into a room these two men from Emmaus. And they told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking on the road and how they had recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them and he said, peace be with you. The whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you so frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts so filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You you can see this, really me. Touch me. Make sure I'm not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet, and still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked him, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. And then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. And it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And now wait for it. This is the big finish. And he says to them and to all of us, and you are witnesses of all of these things. You are a witness. That's the punchline. We are witnesses, witnesses that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and within it, he defeated the powers of hell and the grave that held us all in bondage. And his rising now that the last enemy of the human race is defeated. You know, that's what this Holy Humor Sunday celebrates. It celebrates knowing that we've been freed from the power of sin and death. So we can make fun of Satan's imagined power over us. And we can laugh with joy over Christ's victory. And we can revel in divine gratitude that because he lives, we too shall live. And so today, church, we can laugh even in the season of Easter. Maybe especially in the season of Easter because God has had the last laugh. And he always will and now he's let us in on the fun and it's our turn to retell that great glad good news of jesus christ until he comes again amen we amen will you pray with me lord jesus we thank you that the light of your presence and the love of your spirit puts a joy in us father that nothing in the world can quench and so send us out from here father Uh, in the joy of that, uh, in the full knowledge of what you've done for us and your son. Uh, And Father, uh, we ask you that you would help us to to just share that with everyone we come in, in contact to this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.